I don't know if you knew this, but the world of podcasting is massive. Hi, I'm Leah. I'm the host of CBC's Podcast Playlist. There is such a constant avalanche of new releases, it can be hard to keep up. Luckily, Podcast Playlist can help. Every week, we deep dive into the podcast world to find the most compelling stories. And every month, we'll give you a sneak peek into the hottest new releases so you can stay ahead. Tune in to Podcast Playlist on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. So what I find incredible about the movie Code 8 is that it was only made because of the help of crowdfunding, and yet it became such an unexpected hit that Netflix wanted to make a sequel. Today on the podcast, what the success of Code 8 tells us about making movies outside the studio system. I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. This is Commotion. Look, if there's one thing that Hollywood loves, it's it's an underdog story. A group of young, talented people who take a chance on themselves when no one else will. That's a little bit of what happened to Stephen and Robbie Amell, the stars of the movie Code 8. Mom's sick. I need money. Okay. How do you want to live in this life? Hide our powers? If you see something that you want, take it. Cross that line. There's no coming back. If I lose her, I got nothing left. Because here's the deal. Code 8 began as a short film, and then the crew behind it decided, you know what, we want to make this a longer movie. So they decided to hold a fundraising campaign online to expand it into a feature-length movie. And then something magical happened. It became the largest ever crowdfunded campaign for a Canadian film on any crowdfunding platform. That movie was released in 2019, and the the basic story is this. It's set in a world where about 4% of the population have some special powers, but these people, they're not living large. They're actually discriminated against quite often. They're heavily policed, and the, the person that we follow is Connor. Connor has these special electrical superpowers. He resorts to crime to pay for his mom's medical bills. That movie, when it came out, made it into Netflix's top 10. Now it's getting a sequel, only this time around, the sequel is actually backed by Netflix. Code 8 Part 2 is out today. I talked to the film stars Stephen and Robbie Amell about this wild ride that they've been on about this franchise, and I started off by asking them how it all began. Part 1, you know, it was a movie based off a short film, and the script kept changing as we kept getting more money because we did not plan for a $3 million Indiegogo campaign. Sure. You didn't think you were going to get there. No. You asked for two hundred grand. Yeah. And then you get to $3 million. Yeah. Tell me about the, the, the groundswell of support. You want to make this full-length thing. You say, mm-hmm. hey, can we have two hundred grand to make a movie? People are like, how about $3 million? It's funny. When we were working with Indiegogo, every, like every few days, they would give us a new chart that would project what we were going to finish the campaign with and every time we broke the chart right yeah that's uh it must be an incredible and kind of overwhelming feeling hey oh yeah people from all over the world um i mean the number of people that you know paid like five dollars for an autographed card or something Mm -hmm. 25 bucks or something like that yeah it was just this really collaborative effort and uh, we felt a great deal of responsibility to at the very least deliver something sure yeah, uh, we we asked we asked a lot of people on on faith, and I think we delivered. There's there's a bunch of dimensions I'm really interested in here, but one really big dimension is you know when you think back about the short and then the ask of the campaign, 
What do you think it was about the short that made people go like, oh, I want to see this, you know, become a full length thing? Because is it like the is it the police surveillance elements? You know, do, you, oh, do we I'll, know? Do we have an oh, answer? I'll tell you because I wasn't in it. The okay. short was really good. Yeah. And people watched it and they went, OK, first of all, that's cool. And I mean, like from the start when you're seeing some of the powers and that but the powers are incidental, they kind of fall into the background. And then you're having this great yeah. story about, you know, a guy that's looking for work, a guy that needs to pay his bills. And I think the general consensus was this is a really cool short. Mm -hmm. And oh, I have an opportunity to be a part of this turning into a feature film. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I like the short. I, I like Robbie. Maybe I like Steven. Um, sure, why not? Yeah. And then I think once something gets some momentum, because I've seen this through various charitable campaigns or in this instance, once you start hitting thresholds, yeah. it's like everyone gets FOMO. If they people want to be a part of it. They want to be a part of it. Yeah. And so and so they jump in. Or people that people that were involved, you know, in the early days of the campaign and they bought just like a little card that we autographed will come back and be like, actually now I want a hoodie. Now I want to be an extra. <laughs> now I want to go to a premiere. Because they can see that it's actually starting. And um, and and listen, we kept that campaign open while we were filming mm -hmm. the the first movie. We sold um, props. We did. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I want to I want to play you guys a bit of a clip of of like the sort of you telling people what you get out of supporting the the, the short. Let's play the clip. Oh man, the support from the teaser has been amazing, and we really appreciate it. We got an amazing cast. We had an incredible crew, and we called in every favor we possibly could. But we really wanted to do it as a proof of concept to prove to you guys that we could make something you would be proud to be a part of. So that's why we're here. We need your help. We, we owe people money. <laughs> In actuality, we want to make a feature film. Yes, and getting to make something with you guys would be really special. And we wouldn't make something that wasn't cool. No. So that's a bit of the promo video for your film's Indiegogo campaign. Robbie, take me back to that moment when you decided to launch this fundraiser online. What led to that decision? What did you think was going to happen? Oh, man. It was ter it was a little terrifying because yeah, sure. mm -hmm. you put something out in the world and like the short film, I was super proud of it, but it's a short film. Sure. I mean, people can watch it and go ten minutes. Cool, okay, yeah, moving mm -hmm. on. Yeah, um, but we, you know, we tried to be as strategic as possible about what we wanted to make because we knew Steven's fan base, we knew my fan base, and we were like, okay, what do we think we can deliver yeah. on? And this felt like the right play. Jeff Chan, who's the director uh, of for both everything All code eight in, yeah. yeah sure uh, and he and yeah. his writing partner chris pare they're they're super talented and and i was a big fan of his work and we had wanted yeah. to work together and steve and i obviously wanted to work together yeah so it was just kind of a like if we're not willing to take a chance on ourselves here why should we expect anyone else to do it so that's how the short was that was really how it was born but this is what gets me is that, like you guys have credits everywhere we're talking about like network television we've talking about streaming network shows you could have made this through the studio system, maybe, right? Like you could have gone through those channels, but you didn't go those, through those channels. You said, no, 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 we want to own this thing, and actually we want to make it on our terms. Mm -hmm. And that's that's just a different muscle than the regular muscle that works in Hollywood because I think you could have used your pull to We actually that. got it. We, so we made the short film. Yeah. We had a week of meetings in L.A., and we actually had a couple of papered offers from studios okay. to make the, like, $15 million version of – Code 8 Part 1. Right. You walked away. It, 
the problem is you don't know who you're going to be working with. And it could have been amazing. We could have made the wrong decision. But we also hmm. had this Indiegogo campaign, and we had 30,000 people who were expecting to see something. And we felt like, for better or worse, let's deliver what we think they will like. Mm -hmm. And let's take, wow. let's take a bet on ourselves and see yeah. if we can do it. And with companies like Telefilm, which is you know government funding, yeah. they came in and helped us on part one, and they were a big reason why we were able to do it. Yeah, um, you know a lot Shout of soft. Yeah, yeah, a lot paid, of soft money them, in Canada. We paid them back. <laughs> yeah, they don't always make their money back from their movies, but, uh, um, but that was yeah. yeah I was, mean, for, first of all, let's 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 go on record as saying that we are both huge supporters of the studio system. Of course, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but with, like we but we hadn't done it before too. Yeah. So sure. so it's not like we were coming in as as you know somebody with a great track record of yeah. making movies and. <laughs> if somebody is coming in with all the money, you have to listen to them. Yeah, but Steven, I'm, I'm I gotta big, say, I'm, I'm a big fan of of someone with. I'm a big fan of projects where there's a singular vision. Okay, right? Yeah, and that I filters think all the way that, through. That filters all the way through. Yeah, and the singular vision involved in this one uh, is is Jeff, yeah. our, our director, um, who just he he sees this whole world, and it's like my, it's like one of my favorite quotes: the the personal is universal, and when too many people get involved in something, yeah. it feels like nobody made it. Right. There's a feeling of protecting the project. Like there's a feeling of like we want to protect our idea of what this project is. We don't want people who don't necessarily know it to, to get involved with this, which is why I'm interested in like the process of taking this to Netflix and then having them go, you protect your own project, here's some money to make it. But I want to come back to that in a moment because Stephen, I got to say like the, the idea of, of, of walking away from a, from a papered offer for $15 million I don't, first of all, I don't know if you this do that the, over tacos. That I'm hearing, <laughs> this is the first that I'm hearing of it, frankly. <laughs> the, the idea of walking away from a from a from a you know from an offer that large, you kind of go like, I don't, I don't know if I would have. That's more terrifying to me than asking people for money. I think. Well, just because there's a paper offer doesn't mean you're going to picture. Like, okay. the, there's that's so fair. many steps. Sure. You know, the, the, it could have gotten blown up so quickly. The person who was papering the offer was very interested in changing the title, which, <laughs> by the way, fine. But they were like really interested in it, and they were pitching yeah. us some titles, and we didn't that's, love the sound. Okay, of it, so. that's an odd thing for your first. Cre okay, here, okay. <laughs> listen, guys, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Here's what I want to change. Code nine. Hey, I don't know about this. <laughs> I gotta say, I I don't know what the budget was for part two. You don't have to say on we the show. We can't tell you. That's, that's a Netflix question. That is, that, look, and I, and I it will was not, bigger than one. I will yeah. not be asking them. But ask here's, Mr. Sarandos. Here's where it shows. Ted Sarandos, we have a quick question for you. Where it shows, right? Where it shows is in the sequence with Piper the dog. I'm yeah. watching the sequence. I'm like, this might have cost the entire budget of part one. But it's also incredible to watch this robot dog like go up these stairs. I'm like, what is happening? What am I watching? It's it's overwhelming. It's we great. have an amazing visual effects amazing. team. Amazing. Yeah. They they were the they were really the main like a, a huge driving force as to why the short film worked. Yeah. You know, they did it at cost. It would have we wouldn't have been able to afford anything that they did in that. And it's not like work, you know, it's not just work for hire. These guys all have creative input. Yeah. You know, f uh, my electric powers, like one of the guys, it was his idea to have that really deep, like underneath skin, like it, it, the way that they come up with these things. And Jeff oversees it all, but yeah. everybody is very involved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hey, do you want to add anything to that? You want just yeah. that just we will come up with cool ideas on set and we will, I'll bring it up to Jeff. And Jeff will look at the VFX team that's yeah. always on set and go, yeah. "Can we do that?" And they'll just almost always they sh and they're so understated because they're we we can see how brilliant they are. Yeah, guy will just shrug his shoulders and go, "Oh 
yeah, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then before you know, it's coming to life in this beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, your team didn't just put out calls for you know for donations, which is really nice. You know, for when you were putting together um, part one, you're really rewarded the fans who contributed. We're talking about merch. We're talking about you know on-set visits, mm-hmm. appearances on camera, advanced screenings. Uh, let's talk about the the decision to involve fans like that because like that's that's a big ask. You mm-hmm. know, it can also be like a lot to manage. Was it worth it in the end? Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. I, I mean, my producer hat was different in the second one than the first, but in the in the yeah. first one, it was really about making sure that you, while we are filming a a gritty, demanding action sequence, we're also making sure that on our ten minute break or fifteen minute break, while they're changing the camera setup, yeah, that we are going and talking with people that are extras and just making mm-hmm. sure that they're having a good time and. Um, I took people. I mean, we had a we had a party. They went to a Blue Jays game. Um, oh, I wow. took a bunch of people out for beers after a day of shooting. Straight they got up, some tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> there were tattoos involved. <laughs> no, it was it was an incredibly it was an incredibly rewarding thing. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's for everybody. But I mean, people traveled from all over the world to come and be an extra on this movie. Yeah, and um, they don't just take an ownership in the first film. They take an ownership in this now as a franchise. franchise, And as long as it exists, they consider themselves to be a part of it. I mean, you should have seen, if you ever want to go back and watch the original Code 8, stick around for the credits. Yeah. Because we list every single person in the credits that contributed to the campaign. The the end credits are longer than the end credits for Endgame. (laughs) True story. I love that. That is beautiful. If folks are just joining us, my name is Alameen Abdul Mahmoud. This is Commotion, and my guests today are Stephen and Robbie Amell, the stars of Netflix's new film, Code 8 Part 2. Stephen, Code 8 got theatrical release in 2019, made into Netflix's top 10 after his release on streaming. And now we got Code 8 Part 2 with the help of Netflix. Let's hear a bit of that trailer. Do you remember the last time that we spoke? You told me I'm going to kill you. Maybe you think for a second about who you're talking to. Connor, I think we're going to do big things together. Got to tell you, I'm a big sucker for just when you think you're out. They pull you back in. <laughs> yes, but sir. At, at, at any movie that is like, oh, this person thought they were out, but wait for it. They're not. How did plans for a sequel come together? Uh, I mean, we knew we wanted to, but yeah. at the end of the day, we made the movie. Sure. We put everything into it, and we just hoped people would watch it. And mm-hmm. then we released on Vertical, Day yeah. and Date, which was small theatrical release and, and video on demand, and we set a record for them, which has since been broken, but it was pretty cool at the time. Yeah. And then it was releasing on Netflix, and we are like, okay, this is it. Let's see. And the night before, the uh, we were just a license. The PR team was like, if you don't see it on the platform, don't worry. It doesn't mean people aren't watching it. And 24 hours later, we were the number two movie in the U.S. And 24 hours after that, we were the number one movie in the U.S. Incredible. And yeah. it was just like, oh, my, this worked. Yeah. And um, celebrating with all the people who made it happen, the cast, the crew, the fans. Yeah. We were like, all right, we got to do it again. And mm-hmm. Netflix yeah. came in in a big way with part two, so we didn't have to ask the fans for money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, listen, before I go, I want to just hear from both of you. I want to go back to this idea of crowdfunding and building a franchise on the basis of crowdfunding. How do you think that changes your experience or your idea of you know working in Hollywood? And, and you go, like, what is possible is now different because you made this thing. I don't want to suck the life out of this question. Let's go. But I don't think we could do it again. I've had, you know, I've had some friends over the years pick my brain about doing it 
and I'm like, this was lucky. This was yeah. really lucky. Every possible good outcome <laughs> happened <laughs> while we yeah. were doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you may not be able to crowdfund and you may not hit that sweet spot in terms of social media and access to a fan base, but you still do, in fact, in a better way, in a more convenient way, you still do have the opportunity to produce your own content. Mm-hmm. And having something like the short film, yeah. it wasn't my fan base, it wasn't my social media, it, it begins with the short film because yeah. it was cool and people wanted to be involved in it. If it was just us standing in a convention center in Chicago where you played that clip from where I said we owe people money yeah. and standing in cool hoodies with no short film behind it, <laughs> yeah. then it's it's nowhere near yeah. what it became. The coolest thing for me is that the first time that I saw the finished cut, yeah. last frame, last shot, smashed to black, I go, I want to know more. Yeah. yeah. And that's always a good thing. If, if only two people in this room could do something about that, that's that's you guys, by the way. You know who it's actually up to? What's that? Mr. Sarandos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Sarandos, if you're listening, I have a lot of questions. We have a lot of questions. Let's get them answered. Robbie, Steven, thank you for your time. Thanks for being here. Thank Thanks, you. Man. Robbie and Steven Amell star in the new film Code 8 Part 2. It's out on Netflix today. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Decoder Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Decoder Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Decoder Ring, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by The New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one. I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud and you are listening to Commotion. Look, when you think back on the movies that were released last year, it seemed like a good year for women in film, right? But maybe it feels that way because Barbie absolutely dominated the box office. But there's new research from the University of Southern California that suggests it was not such a great year for women in film. They did a study that showed that when it comes to the top 100 grossing films, only 30 featured women in leading roles. And the number of films made by women directors was down as well. That's the worst it's been in more than a decade. Terry Hart is a regular here on Commotion. She's also a member of the Critics' Choice Awards Women's Committee. She's here to talk about what's happening. Terry, welcome to the show. Hello. I'm glad you're here, friend. Let's talk about it. Okay, so the research leads for the study by USC Annenberg Inclusion Initiative called her findings a catastrophic, this is a quote, a catastrophic step back for women and girls in film. Did you feel the same when you saw these numbers? I was surprised. I mean, I think that we all, when we read this study, I mean, I think we've all kind of been pinkwashed a little bit by Barbie and thought like this was the year. And my movie world was filled with movies that were directed by women and had female protagonists, whether it be, you know, past lives or origin or a thousand and one. I mean, anatomy of a fall, I could go on and on, but it seems I'm not representative of who's going to the movies. And um, the numbers don't lie. And in fact, you know, Barbie is the outlier. And there's all Mm. kinds of studies that say remove the outlier from the equation. And if we remove Barbie from the equation, the numbers are even worse. Well, I think that's the part that's so surprising because Barbie was so present in everybody's lives for months and months and months that it kind of feels... 
you know, like you kind of you, you process the findings of the study and you go like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I know that people saw Barbie, but it's like that's that's it. That's the only one, you know, that was there in terms of the, the, the movie that people actually saw, because we should distinguish you and I see a lot of movies that are made by women. You know, they a lot of them get nominated during this particular, you know, um, period for award season. They don't necessarily, you know, gross um, that much in the theater. So this is what really we're talking about. This isn't just about which films are getting made. It's about the types of movies that people end up watching in a way. You know, the researchers didn't offer any reasons as to why these numbers are so low. What do you think about that? Uh, well, that's the million dollar question, right? Like, why yeah. aren't people seeing these movies? And we could say that, you know, one of the things definitely is those movies that I just mentioned, they're smaller movies, they don't have the same marketing budget as big, you know, tentpole Marvel Cinematic Universe sure. movies. But if we compare kind of apples to apples, and you look at a movie like the Marvels, female protagonist directed by a woman ticks all those boxes, positively reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes, and then you compare to something like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Aquaman, Fast X. All three of those movies are in the top 15 and the Marvels is down at number 29. So it's impossible to not imagine that the zeitgeist believes that movies that are about women, made by women, aren't as good. They don't pay their money to see them. And that's the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I'm truly like on the show, we've talked about movies like, are you there? God is me, Margaret, anatomy of the fall past lives. These are movies that critically very successful. We've talked about them a lot because I think they're really valuable moments that tell us a lot about this cultural moment. They're not in the top hundred. Like they don't make, they don't make this list at all. No. And they're harder to find. They're not opening on hundreds and hundreds of screens. They're not, you know, playing at the most convenient times for people to go see. That's the marketing budget. That's the smaller distributor behind these movies. They don't have the Disney marketing machine. They don't have the, you know, major studio marketing machine. So there's a lot in the business of what is happening. And then there's also a lot in, you know, the zeitgeist and pop culture and the idea of what is valuable? What do I want to see? And mm-hmm. and why is that happening after all these years? I mean, I, you know, I don't have the answer to that. I just yeah. know it is a problem. Yeah. I, I think you also just mentioned something that is important, which is the number of screens. People don't necessarily know this, but, you know, you go to the movie theater and you see that a bunch of movies are playing at a certain time. Pay attention to what movies are getting, you know, a certain number of screens. If, you know, for example, Dune 2 opens this weekend, pay attention to the literal number of theaters that are going to be playing that because, you know, if your local multiplex has, I don't know, 12 different theaters, four of them playing Dune is, you know, indicative of how big this movie is, right? Four. I think it's probably going to be like eight. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I mean, right. that is that is the business yeah. of distribution. That is the job of people who work at studios who pick up the phone and call their exhibitor in yeah. Canada, Cineplex, Lampark, whoever, and they fight. They fight to get that movie on as many screens as possible. So if you have a movie like A.V. Rockwell's 1001 and you don't have people to fight for that and you don't have as many DSPs, you know, the digital card to, that actually plays the movie, you yes. know, there's all kinds of things that go into the business of how easy it is for people to consume this content. And the fact is, you know, past lives, origin, anatomy of a fall, you know, these movies that even are you there, God, it's me, Margaret. They were harder movies for people to access. Mm -hmm. And that is because the business 
historically has said they're not going to make us as much money as Dune 2. Well, it's a bit of a what came first, the chicken or the egg. Yes. Are they not going to because people have to work harder to see them or are they not going to because people don't want to see them? I don't know. Yeah, I think there's there's something to be. I was that, this is the next question I was going to ask you, right? Is that like we're both on the same page here? But to anyone who's listening who says this is just the market deciding, it's not just the market deciding, right? It, it's sort of Hollywood institutions and machinery deciding what movie is going to get the proper support that it needs, and what movie is going to sort of kind of fall by the wayside because the because of the Dunes and the Barbies and the Marvel movies are the things that keep the lights on, right? And like, and be, so the things that keep of the movies that keep the lights on, the movies that gross, you know. Um, um, so much money, these top 100, we're seeing fewer and fewer movies directed by women. That's the thing that's startling here because Hollywood isn't And about it. women and yes. starring women. Like there's two things happening here that are equally problematic. Movies mm-hmm. that are helmed by women, written and or directed by women, and movies that are about women. So it's not even, you know, yes, The Color Purple is great. It's a female story directed by a man. That's great. You know, yeah. you mentioned that I'm part of the Women's Committee at the Critics' Choice. We gave that the seal of female empowerment in entertainment we award these movies that are doing good work around female stories and female filmmakers but we're falling behind in both categories movies that are made by women and female stories i mean i've had men say to me about barbie oh that movie isn't for me hmm it's the number one grossing movie of 2023. Yeah. It is literally for everyone. It is, yes, but there's still a perception. Yeah, 100%. Like when, when you have a tentpole movie that is literally for everyone and you still have those people saying, that's not for me, that's indicative of a larger problem. Terry, I got to leave it there. But thank you so much for your time, friend. Good to see you. Nice to see you. Of have course, a great day. Of course. Terry Hart is a film critic and a member of the Critics' Choice Awards Women's Committee. She was responding to this new research from the University of Southern California that tells us that of the top 100 grossing films of last year, only 30 featured women in leading roles. And that is it for the podcast today. Remember, you can listen to the show anytime you like, wherever you get your podcasts. If you got a moment, check us out on Instagram. We are at CommotionCBC. My name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. Hey, I'm going to be back tomorrow. So if you're going to be here, I would love to see you then. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.